This show is brought to you in part by the University of Advancing Technology. UAT is a unique technology-infused private college that was founded by a geek for other geeks. Our mission is to educate students in the fields of advancing technology to become innovators of the future. UAT's campus culture is devoted to continually nurturing a thriving geek community where everyone's personal lives and professional aspirations revolve around technology. The beginning of the 21st century is an exciting time to be in the technology community. Current subjects of ongoing research and scholarship at UAT include robotics and embedded systems, artificial life programming, information and network security, game development, and other areas of advanced technology. Check them out on the web at www.uat.edu. Shoutcast streaming provided by Versus the World Productions, www.vtwproductions.com. I am Gnomewise. I am Gonora. I am Iolite. I am Dexa. I am Grail. And I am Versus You. I am Versus You. And I'm Versus You. I am Versus You. And I'm Versus You. Casually Hardcore. Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. GMT. Only on vtwproductions.com. Okay, can everybody hear me fine? Um, I'm going to be moderating this panel. Is there anyone in the room who is not intimately aware of our guest and his many accomplishments in writing novels, comic books, television, manga, heart surgery? Well, I have a couple of pages of biographical information that I was instructed to compile, and I have now been instructed to just say, here is Paul Cornell, and enjoy. That, 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 that was sort of hands up who knows him intimately. That was kind of scary. I, I, but, <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. But, uh, thank you for such a lovely turnout. It's wonderful to see so, so many people here. I'm, I'm quite surprised and pleased. Wow, hey, thank you. Um, I, I, I went back to my hotel room just now to discover I've just won an Eagle Award. Um, for. Um, they're having the big MCM Expo in London. They're doing the Eagle Awards this evening. And fantastic. I'm so pleased. It's, 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 it's really weirdly for best newcomer. And as, as some... As somebody ponked up on my Twitter feed, only 21 years after his first published comic, Paul Cornell gets that Best Newcomer Award. <laughs> but, um, but no, I'm, I'm really, really pleased, and um, I think that's the first time I've ever won anything. Um, my, my entire career is basically um, hearing people go, um, oh, I loved your Doctor Who episode, but... <laughs> That one that came afterwards, blink. That was so good. And then I, I, I now, I now wait for that. But I just say, "Oh yeah, <laughs> come on, come on." But um, anyway, so I'm um, uh, in the midst of all sorts of stuff right now. I'm writing uh, action comics for DC Comics. Um, I'm, uh, I have some lovely DC news coming out in the next couple of weeks, which of which I cannot speak at all, having signed a truly terrifying non-disclosure agreement. Which basically, even I think mentioning the non-disclosure agreement breaks it. I, I, it's a kind of quantum thing. Uh, to look at it is to be sued. And um, I'm, um, 
Uh, also, in the last throes of a novel, I, I had one of the most joyous experiences yesterday when I sat down and got to write for, write, rewrite my novel for six hours in my hotel room. This makes no sense at all to anybody who's not an author, but it's really exciting for me. Um, it's coming out from Tor in Britain and the States. It's going to be called, we think, Cops and Monsters, and um, it's a bunch of uh, modern British uh, metropolitan police uh, undercover detectives who suddenly find themselves as the only people who can see and deal with the supernatural and decide to nick it and um, so that's what, what I'm hugely into at the moment um, and I think that comics uh, novel um, nothing particularly on the TV front um, right now because uh, Pulse, my uh, pilot wasn't picked up so that's sort of what I'm in the middle of. Um, I, I think maybe the best way for me to run this would be to sort of grab questions from the audience and then talk and talk and talk and uh, then maybe we'll get a second question just before the end. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm running the panel game just a minute tonight at 6.30. We've got uh, John Scalzi, we've got Cherry Priest, we've got uh, Sam Sykes, and we've got Rob Sawyer. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing game. It's about loquaciousness. It's a bunch of authors basically just yelling at each other for an hour. It's always very funny. And John Scalzi is just incredible at it. So please do come along if you can. Anyway, is there anybody out there who wants to ask anything about anything? Hello. From a writer's bit, I think Blink. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, I really, uh, until recently, I would have said Blink. Um, uh, I, from a writer's perspective, I always like to watch the way how Moffat builds those incredibly intricate little machines of his. The way, you know, every single cog has to mean something to make the penny drop out of the bottom of the slot. And I love writers who work like that. And... You know, even putting in a supposed um, continuity error, like Matt having the wrong jacket in uh, time, of the, time of the Angels, um, or was it Flesh and Stone? But, and so the internet goes wild over, oh, they couldn't even be bothered with a jacket, and six episodes later we discover it was an entirely different doctor from a different time stream that had a different jacket. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I'm incapable of working at that level. So I, th I think my current favourite, um, although I really did love the Neil Gaiman episode, I... I uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's still um, um, the most recent Weeping Angels two-parter from last season. I thought that was amazing, but uh, yeah, it's that, that mechanism I really enjoy in Doctor Who. Um, and anybody anybody else? Oh, hello. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you mentioned that uh, pilot, which uh, didn't get picked up. The Oh, it was a, a medical horror show called Pulse. It was about shady goings-on in a, a modern British hospital. And um, it had um, Claire, uh, Claire Foy in it. And um, we really liked it. We had a really good time with it. Um, we won our pilot season. Every other pilot was cancelled immediately, and we were waiting, left waiting for weeks. But they finally decided to commission something that the public hadn't seen instead. So, oh well. But um, I'll, I'll get back to television at some point. But um, the um, I love this podium. This is kind of like yeah, my fellow Americans. Uh, it's a, it gives you a sort of you know you you stand a little taller at a podium. It's it's at times like this that I'm reminded of Chapter Thirty Eight of Thessalonians, where. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I, that's really kind of you. Um, and, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, 
satellite, you know, Doctor Who stuff. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, do you think there's any, ever any chance that we're going to see Bernice Summerfield or an Iris Wild time? Or... Oh, you mean on telly? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> because actually, that would mean River Song would be kind of just rendered. She would wonder who this person is who's so like her. Um, <laughs> but actually, I think that, you know, it's kind of. It, it's. It, I always say to him, it's sort of flattering, River Song, um, that um, it's a character who's taken on so many aspects of Bernice, but it's because he can do anything he likes with her, and if he killed off Bernice, I wouldn't be very happy. Um, sorry, Bernice uh, Summerfield, character I developed for the Doc 2 novels and audios. She's had an immense afterlife of her own. She's got her own audio and book range. Uh, she's an interstellar archaeologist. Yeah. <laughs> And this was first, she first appeared about 20 years ago, and um, she's been in print and in audio ever since to a tiny fandom. It's really wonderful, a micro fandom. We've got about 600 people who might buy a Benny Summerfield audio. It's really good. <laughs> but um, it's really nice being, in, being in, you know, at the head of a, a, a micro fandom. Um, somebody came along just now to my table and uh, showed me some um, custom Lego figures he'd made, one of which was a tiny Benice. And that was really nice. But um, I come here to you today. To <laughs> terrible disaster, right? I, uh... <laughs> Hello. Oh, thank you. Um, sorry, when? When? No, it's all done by by um, email these days. I, I did meet with Matt, Matt Idelson, at, um, my editor, at uh, the New York Comic Con, and uh, that was very nice. But, um, or was it New York? We've met. No, it wasn't New It was San Diego, yeah. But, um, no, um, uh, they basically, um, I was, uh, Jeff Johns popped up on my Twitter and said, Paul, what are you doing these days? And I kind of said, oh, oh, not, not very much. Hello, Jeff. <laughs> Never spoken. <laughs> nice work you do. Well done at suddenly being, becoming boss of DC Comics. Excellent. And, um, <laughs> and, and he, he, he said, ah, well, we may have something for you. And then went. And uh, I got an email a few days later. And I said to my wife, um, if DC are about to offer me work, it won't be action comics, will it? And it turned out to be action comics, which was awesome. And um, uh, it, with Lex Luthor already signed up for it, you know, it, do you want to write... And a year of Lex Luthor in action comics. And I thought, fantastic, for so many reasons. I love Lex, the public knows who he is, and there'll be absolutely no pressure. You know, people will, will not assume we can do anything, so we can do things, we can play. And um, that was really, really wonderful. My wife also said, because I have a, a good record of having comics cancelled out from underneath me in a terrible, terrible way, um, my wife said, well, they can't cancel action comics. <laughs> and, um, and, and so far they haven't. So... <laughs> So far. <laughs> Hello. Speaking of comics that have been cancelled out from underneath you way too soon, uh, Captain Britain and MI-13, uh, set up at the end of the first arc. It was probably the only real story that came out of Secret Invasion that I remember fondly. And then the two arcs that followed it were uh, Hell Comes to Birmingham and then uh, Vampire Nation. Or Vampire State. Vampire State. There was a setup at the end of that first arc where you see what looks like a demonic jailbreak, uh, where wisdom blew up the... Oh, yes. 
Was that going to be the seed for most of the series? Yeah, that was kind of our format, that we were going to get back um, the stuff that had come out, and uh, we just never got there. Um, it, we also discussed, you know, Rachel was the Phoenix and uh, the Fury, but we only really had one lunch because um, actually uh, Captain Britain used up all of the stories I pitched for Captain Britain when I initially arrived. So we got to the end of all the stories we were initially going to tell anyway. Uh, no, nothing got left undone. Um, and, and actually Marvel did keep us going just long enough so nothing could get, uh, get undone. Honestly, they gave us all the support in the world. There just weren't the sales. Um, my editor on Captain Britain, Nick Lowe, came over to um, Britain for a comic convention recently, and all he got during the panel was Captain Britain questions. I was so pleased. <laughs> um, I, I said to him in the bar afterwards, um, you know, I, I'm exclusive with DC for another year still. Um, I agree about bringing back Captain Britain, but could you wait a year? <laughs> And he's a huge Captain Britain fan. Um, and, you know, uh, if there were a way to bring back Captain Britain financially at Marvel, I'm sure they'd go for it. You know, it, it's just finding an audience for that book, like with so many. Okay. Thank you, that's one. <laughs> and, uh, I, I have incidentally met everybody who's ever bought an issue of Knight and Squire. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, were you saying, oh, I've bought an issue of Knight and Squire? <laughs> I, I like one that Jimmy Broxton created. We created 120 new British character, superhero and supervillain characters in six issues of Knight and Squire. And uh, our intention being to um, get the people who do the DC encyclopedia to go mad. Uh, it, it's, it's an elaborate plot. We'll, we'll, need, we'll need a whole new British volume. It'll be about this thick. And um, it'll be very hard to shelve. And, um, <laughs> and we... we, we I had right at the end, there was one panel left to draw um, that um, Jimmy hadn't inked yet in the final issue before it got sent off. And I had to say to James, so have you created any characters in that last panel of the last issue? He actually said yes, three. Because <laughs> <laughs> James kept putting them in the background. And actually, I would grab the ones he'd put in the background in the earlier issues and give them, you know, um, you know uh, something to do in dialogue in later ones. I like Birthday Girl, who James created. Um, he's given all of them names. We've, we've got a, do a document in the forthcoming uh, collected edition, which has 13 pages of James's sketches and everything, um, he, he, with all of the names of all the characters we've created in that, that, that series. And uh, he gave all of them names. So Birthday Girl, her only power seems to be that she goes around naked. And... Um, <laughs> And gets everything, uh, everything in her environment hides her nakedness at all times. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I have yet to ask James actually what her power might be, but, but she seems quite successful in crime busting in Britain and, uh, <laughs> and is strangely non exploitative. She looks quite sweet. <laughs> but, um, um, anyway, so yes, lots and lots of characters. The Milkman, I also like. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Hello. Most fans say they have a one great Doctor Who story in their head. If we've seen your one great story, you got another one coming. Oh, that's tough. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether or not I've got another Doctor Who story coming. I'm always um, open to being selected for Doctor Who. Um, I'm, I await them picking me again. And uh, since I go out drinking with Stephen Moffat on a regular basis, this is, you know...
<sighs> I, I, I don't talk to him about it. He doesn't talk to me about it. I sort of look at him with a steely glance every now and then. <laughs> but um, if you're listening to this, Stephen... <laughs> <laughs> but he was my best man um, at my wedding and um, uh, honestly having the writer of, the cu of coupling burst in uh, carrying rings in a very delicate um, box with grills in the floor and uh, my goodness and he, 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 he gave a speech which is still the subject of legal action um, <laughs> Russell T Davis delivered the first lesson and I've never heard anybody getting laughs out of the wedding at Canaan before um, <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> so uh, any, any, anything? Ah, yes. Have you ever had an idea for Doctor Who that was just too crazy and they didn't want to put it in anything for the TARDIS or any I, I've had things that are too expensive to do, <laughs> uh, which is quite a lot, actually. <laughs> the um, TARDIS rooms cost a lot because uh, you have to design whole new sets and everything. Um, uh, let me see, what have, what have I done that was too, way, way too expensive? Um, when initially I started writing Father's Day, um, I and everybody else who wrote for the first season, um, we started by writing really, really small budget stories that could be filmed in, you know, single rooms. And Russell had to actually email us all going, we've got a bit of money now, it's not like old Doctor Who. <laughs> And then Moffat comes along and his script begins, a fleet of Luftwaffe bombers approaching London. <laughs> but um, and I, can't, I can't remember anything too huge. Um, something will come to me as, as I go along. I'm sure there was, there was quite a bit. You should ask Russell that, but please don't. <laughs> and, oh, hello again. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you heard that in such, such circumstances. Uh, goodness. Oh, I, I, I thought you were reacting in horror to the idea I might have you know, met her. <laughs> but, um, no, I've only met her a couple of times at conventions, um, and she, she's always had this tremendous ability with the public. Um, you know, uh, just such an amazing actor. Um, who really could convince you and is such a great lead, you know, um, the ability to, um, you know, lead small children into Doctor Who that she did um, in the original run. And uh, just, just a tremendous lead, tremendous actor. Um, and a very great surprise, as, as it was to you just now. Um, you know, it's... Uh, she was working right up until um, she couldn't. And uh, very few people knew about it, and um, I certainly didn't know about it. And uh, you know, it was a big shock to everyone. You know, in, in the way Doctor Who fans do, we have a grapevine, and you know, people who would know started saying, and um, you know, it was uh, quite a shock. But um, hmm. yes, yeah, so anyway, she was she was wonderful. And Nicholas Courtney, bless him, that was a, a, a great loss. Although not as unexpected, he, he you know, um, had a long innings, as it were. But he, he was utterly wonderful as well. But uh, anyway, sorry, this has got depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 
I think that's the only, only panel I've ever been on in, in which a, a member of the audience has received awful news while I've been... <laughs> and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you didn't go, what about Nicholas Courtney as well? I'm, I'd have been so guilty, you know. <laughs> but, hello. Um, when for Father's Day, um, Russell had a series of paragraphs of what each script was going to be, and he actually attached to them the name of who was going to write them. So we all looked through the script trying to guess, and we thought, oh, yeah, Charles Dickens, Mark Gatiss, um, uh, and I saw the one that went, this is a, um, the Play for Today-like episode with no special effects in which there's lots and lots of teary emotion. I thought, oh, that's me. And <laughs> no special effects, no monsters, which kind of rendered, I thought, my entire life wanting to write a Doctor Who episode into a kind of shaggy dog story. <laughs> but, um, so I put some monsters in, basically. But, um, yeah, um, and for the second one, Russell just said, adapt your book. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a different sort of story. But often you... You're given um, a lot of guidance and help and um, management by uh, script editors, Russell. Um, and for the Bad Wolf season, the, the Christopher Eccleston season, we all wanted to know what Bad Wolf was, and we hadn't been told. And um, so I thought the way to do this was I, I would email Russell and say, oh, could I put a Bad Wolf reference into my script? And he just sent in a single word email back saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> But um, we were all surprised to find out what that was. Um, but yes. Um, oh, hello. Yeah. Are there any other, uh, either ones that you've written or ones that others have written, other Doctor Who novels that you'd really like to see adapted for the show? Yeah. Um, I, one of mine, Love and War, I'd really like to make. Um, I, I think, again, it's, it would be ferociously expensive. That's, that's the trouble. Um, and there's quite a few. The works of Kate Orman. Um, yeah, there's, there's a number, I think, would make good stories. A, a lot of it has been superseded now by kind of, you know, the show has, as it absolutely should, taken vastly from the materials produced in the 15 years between the old show and the new show, which fans have tended to refer to as the wilderness years. But for those of us doing, you know, work during them, we, we, we refer to it as the theme park years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I do think all shows should kind of lay fallow for a while, you know, because that, that every, everybody who worked on the first certainly couple of years of the new Doctor Who on the writing side had produced audio plays and books and things like that during the 15 years between. And it's a good thing for a show to go away and have a fandom that kind of regenerates and produces new stuff and new ways of approaching stuff. And, um, you know, Star Trek kind of did that recently. The James Bond franchise did uh, before Pierce Brosnan came along. There was a big gap there. And again, a big gap after him. Um, it's when the, the, it's the time it takes for fans to become, you know, uh, professionals and put their fanish knowledge into the show in a professional way. But um, anyway, I digress. Um, any anybody else? It's always you guys. <laughs> Hello. Already, you'd already, you'd already polished it, it already been there. But then somebody says, come on, and 
Well, we want you to remake the baby. Mm. Yeah. Um, remake the baby, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, the, um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. The, um, um, I, I, it took me a long time to find the correct way to do it. I started out with um, much more radical deviations from the novel because I thought that Moffat had already done the kind of romance thing in Girl in the Fireplace. And I started originally with um, uh, John Smith uh, in bed with his wife um, because I thought... You know, we haven't really got room to do the whole romance thing. Of course, the romance thing is the thing. And Russell kept saying, no, bring it back to the book. So we, we brought it back to the book. And, of course, he was absolutely right. And, um, yeah, so I, I really lucked out on that with that cast and uh, that director. Um, uh, Harry Lloyd, who's gone on to be in Game of Thrones and is doing so well, um, just an amazing actor playing son of mine. And... Um, you know, I, I just a, what a perfect um, a perfect storm of good casting and good direction, I think, and uh, yeah, awesome. But um, well, it's, it's sort of like the, the clever children, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, yes, go you again, Lisa Simpson. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, um, <laughs> favorite doctor from the old show, Peter Davison stroke Sylvester McCoy. I can never decide. Um, I won't, ha I won't um, at all choose between the new ones. Um, uh, and companion, oh, well, Liz Sladen would be really high on my list. Um, I do think that Rory, I think that Arthur Darville does an amazing job. I mean, he, I, I saw the first episode of um, this season with 800 fans at um, the British Science Fiction Eastercon. And um, you feel every single beat with a big audience. There are the laughs, the dramatic moments. You really do feel the script. And Arthur Darvill's ability with a little look or a gesture or a kind of haughtiness to always get the laugh, that's wonderful stuff. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I'm a big Rory fan at the moment. But... Uh, which is not to say Amy, Amy is lacking you because she's wonderful. But, um, mm. Hello. If there is, one, is there one actor somewhere that you would love to be able to write into the show that you haven't been able to make? Just mm. a, a performer today that you think would really add? Oh, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I'll put that in my holding pattern and get back to that. An actor I'd really like... I, th I think um, Claire Foy certainly would be a, a good addition. Um, uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar, um, who was in the comedy series Goodness Gracious Me, I think he's a, a, a good Doctor Who villain in waiting. Good Doctor Who as well. Um, and um, hmm, That's a really good question. There's loads of folk in Game of Thrones. I'm obsessed with Game of Thrones at the moment. I just think it's the most amazing thing. Um, my favourite thing right now. Um, hmm, interesting. It's okay. But um, anyway, um, hello. Uh, can you tell us a little about your writing process? Oh, um, yeah. Um, I try and write um, uh, these days a thousand words of prose and five pages of comics a day um, because I, I couldn't actually meet my deadlines if I did not. Um, if I. Um, 
if I didn't have the comics to do, I'd do 2,000 words of prose a day. I'm not sure I'd do any more comics than five pages. Um, it's um, because I have an amount. I tend I tend to start very early in the morning, but and then finish sort of exhausted around you know mid afternoon, and then go for a run. And um, it, it's not really a, a solid routine, um, but as long as I get that amount of stuff done in a day, then I feel good about myself and don't have to um, just feel horribly, horribly guilty. Um, it's, uh, all writers handle this differently. You know, when I, I see, see Neil Gaiman still up and about on Twitter at five in the morning, I think, goodness. <laughs> and and he, he just loves the night and loves to work in the night. And, um, but, uh, and a lot of writers treat it as a nine to five. They will start at a certain hour and finish at a certain hour and not pay particular attention to how much they do during that time. But um, for me, it's got to be an amount, otherwise... I, I, I'd like to have the illusion that if I really move fast and finish early, I might be able to knock off and go and do something else. Like, go to the cinema in a weekday afternoon, which only writers do. <laughs> but, um, I, I love, by the way, down here, that we've got the only uh, master cosplayer female I have ever seen. This is fantastic. And it's the Anthony Amy master as well. It's brilliant. I love cosplay and not too fandom at the moment. It's wonderful. It's taken over. It's the, the best thing. Because, honestly, in the 15 years between the old show and the new, we, there were three of us and a dog. And, <laughs> and none of us was into cosplay and the dog wouldn't be canine. It's just... <laughs> And to have loads of young people watching Doctor Who and them being sometimes from other countries. This is wonderful. But anyway, hello. Yes. So, favorite Doctor Who villain? <laughs> <laughs> no well, like, I, I, I kind of know what you want me to say. <laughs> yes, you've brought along a clue. <laughs> um, I, I do like the master, but I like John Sims' master the best. I think he's wonderful. And the way that he kind of um, got, got appropriated the body language from previous versions and did all sorts of little mastery things, I thought was brilliant. But um, actually, somebody putting together Neil Gaiman and cosplay, this is kind of how my head, <laughs> head works. Um, I, I, I went and um, helped Neil with his bees. He keeps hives. And so, you know, I spent a lovely day at his house and we tended the hives together. And I put on, you know, a full bee suit. And we went down and took a hive apart and, you know, put some smoke down and all that. And I learned an awful lot about bees. And I told this at a convention. And I said, I was in a full bee suit. And somebody put their hand up and said, you mean you were dressed as a bee? <laughs> and I kind of thought, how, how mad do you think I... I'm visiting Neil Gaiman. Hello, I know you like bees. <laughs> But any, anyway, hello. <laughs> I know you like bees. <laughs> in the run-up to the Matt Smith announcement, uh, a lot of actors were mentioned in, in the British betting market. Oh, yes. Um, uh, Joseph Patterson, uh, Bill Nighy. Pa Patterson Joseph. Pa I got a Patterson, mm. sorry. Bill Nighy, uh, an older actor, and then some female actors mm. too. Would, can you comment on each one of those categories? Oh. Would any of those work well, uh, yeah, loads. I mean, we've now had it thoroughly, solidly established that Time Lords can regenerate into women, which is fantastic. And uh, actually, we had it established before Neil's script when Matt isn't sure whether or not he's a man or a woman initially. I think that's the point where we knew. Um, and that's great, because it offers the opportunity to give it to an actress. That's awesome. Um, as far as I think they would all have been good choices. Um, 
I know Moffat auditioned many people. I don't know who any of them were. Um, I believe he's sealed that secret in a metal box, which he's buried 800 feet under his house. Um, it's, uh, you know, um, it's a very hard part to cast. I think he did a tremendous job finding Matt Smith, who, you know, is very young, but looks and acts about 750. And actually dresses down to play Doctor Who, which takes doing. <laughs> but um, the um, yeah, so uh, this is one of those those areas. You know, it's it's a sensitive thing to comment on casting. Every time you see a producer on stage, they will say some variation on or some form of words that sounds like. Um, this person was our first choice. We didn't see anybody else. It was always going to be this person, um, which is often not quite true. And often the form of words will mean it's not a complete lie. But um, usually when you hear it was always going to be so-and-so, it wasn't. And at least Moffat said there was an audition, but I bet Matt aced it. And, uh, How would you approach uh, writing a female? Almost exactly the same. Um, it's... Um, I don't think that you do much different. Um, I think it would just mean that um, you'd have a different relationship with a, a sort of a male romantic lead somewhere rather than a female romantic lead like R River Song. Um, hmm, it's, it, I, I think it would be very small things. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would finally please him, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, um, the, um, there was somebody else, or were you just scratching your nose? Um, this is like an auction. You know, I feel like I, I, I'm actually going to be running part of the auction, uh, which that's going to be a scary experience, <laughs> you know, because I'll, I'll have to sort of note people with hands up and not let it be sold to somebody who's just making a strange gesture, you know, things like that. That's going to be pressure. But anyway, yeah. Oh, oh yes, Action 900. Um, story in the back of Action 900, four-page uh, extra story in which Superman renounces his American citizenship. Get huge media reaction. We sell out the issue. We go to a reprint. Um, I think he should leave a country every single issue. I think that would be... <laughs> this, this issue, Superman renounces his French citizenship. <laughs> and... Um, but, but actually, I, I really hated the fact that it distracted completely from the lead story. You know, uh, here I am concluding a year's worth of stories and launching another story, and everybody's talking about what happened in the back. And, um, you know, it, I, but weird things happen. My mum called me up about Superman, which has never happened before. Um, Jeff Ryman, the great uh, um, Canadian but lives in Britain SF writer, woke me at eight in the morning. <laughs> Jeff, what's wrong? What's happened? Because he, he doesn't call me. You know, it's one of the greats of science fiction on my phone. And it's, Paul, I'm, I'm concerned by what's happening about Superman. <laughs> I, I, I get this. I, I sort of... Um, um, uh, when we initially announced the Lex Luthor run, and we announced it as um, Lex Luthor and his girlfriend Lois Lane will be adventuring together, um, which we thought would be, you know, we'd just gently poke the internet audience and they'd go, hmm, Lex Luthor and his girlfriend Lois Lane, well that sounds intriguing, it can't possibly mean what it seems to mean, I think I'll pick that issue up. Instead of which the reaction was, rah! And, uh, and the reaction happened overnight. So I woke up with, looked at my Twitter feed and my phone and thought, hmm, 
158 mentions. <laughs> is that good or is that going to be bad? <laughs> I, I also wake up occasionally to, and we told them the truth, having had a quick editorial chat, because we thought the revelation that she's a robot comes halfway through the book, um, playing up to this and going, yes, it's those two together from now on. Yes, the whole universe has changed. Yeah, we'll just not achieve anything as soon as anybody looked at the book. And I think we got them kind of on side by telling them the truth. Um, there, there was also that memorable tweet I received, again, all early in the morning. I shouldn't read my Twitter feed at, at 7 in the morning. I, I woke up to one all in um, uh, capital letters, which just said, you ruined Batman and Robin. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> But, um, sorry, what was the question? Oh, yes, that, yeah. <laughs> but, um, oh, hello. Hi. Given um, the opportunity, would you write for one of Doctor Who's Yes, I, I, would I write for current Doctor Who, is what you're, is, is that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind at all. I'm, I'm, I'm up for being selected for Doctor Who in any way, shape, or form. In any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I don't know where the camera... Oh, there's the camera, yeah. No. Yeah, I wasn't just talking to you, sir. It's all right. It's, <laughs> why is he talking to me? I have no power. But, um... Dress like a bee. Anyway. Um... <laughs> the, um Oh dear! Any, any, anybody? How far through this process are we? <laughs> oh. oh yes. It, this is this is really nice having him sitting here. It, it's like I'm kind of I, I can't be entirely left out on my own. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's it's like he's from the Politburo to make sure that um, you know I'm, I'm up here addressing the, the, the Supreme Soviet and he's there with a gun in his base bag ready to shoot me if I go off message. <laughs> Hello. Um, yes. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just consulting my schedule. Yes, um, I'm, I'm doing just a minute, the game show tonight at six. Um, I'm doing something called The Pages According to the Writer at 1.30 on Saturday, which is presumably a writing panel of some kind. Um, oh, which... And that will go on during my other panel, getting inside the criminal mind. So, <laughs> perhaps I should have discovered this at an earlier point. <laughs> Wear a different jacket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll run between the two. I'm doing a DC panel um, later that day, 4.30. I'm doing cool things I'm reading at 11.30 on Sunday morning, which looks like a fabulous panel, just a bunch of us yelling about what books we like, which sounds great. And the British comics invasion at 3 p.m. on Sunday. Thank you very much. But, um, <laughs> oh, yes, I'll be at my booth for most of the time otherwise. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really enjoying meeting people at the table, especially tiny little ones I give comics to. That's so nice. I'm so broody at the moment. I'm just sort of, every little kid, I'm going, ooh. Especially dress them, dress them in cute costumes. I was in the lift with a little C-3PO today about this place. It's really sweet. And, and what is that booth number? <laughs> 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 Thank you. 
This is the other thing that I get on Twitter, people treating me like I'm Google. <laughs> They'll ask me questions they could look up on Wikipedia. But I am not the, I Google my own name every morning, and I'm not the only Paul Cornell by any means. On Wikipedia there is Paul Cornell disambiguation, because um, there is Paul Cornell, the ornithologist, who has written more than 300 books about birds, including The Cry of the Loon, which is available on audio. Um, <laughs> The chap, the chap in charge of manage, advertising for Guinness is Paul Cornell, and whenever he, they get a new campaign, he gets out and about a bit, and he must wonder when he looks at his, who am I? Who am I? And um, there's also a, um, a chap who um, was part of the Chicago political scene in the 18th century called Paul Cornell, who has a park named after him, of which Barack Obama said... Without Paul Cornell, I couldn't have gotten where I am today. <laughs> I'm thinking of putting that on the cover of the novel. I really am. <laughs> much, much as we'll have on the cover of the novel, um, because we took uh, Action Comics' first hardcover collection to number one in the New York Times bestseller list, which is a, a lovely thing. I'm going to have on the front of the novel... Um, New York Times number one best-selling author, but not for a book like this one, Paul Cornell. <laughs> and, um, and, um, hello. It's really difficult moving between um, screenplay, comics, and prose. Um, I try not to write them in the same day, even, because you really have to move your mind around and change gears. Um, it's, it's because you're seizing little moments in comics, especially. Um, there's uh, the thing not to write in comic book panels. Um, uh, he leaves the room and shouts from outside. What exactly is the, is the artist drawing there? <laughs> um, but in um, television, you'd write exactly that. And the other panel that nobody likes is when uh, somebody in speech goes from one emotion to an entirely different one. I'm so happy and yet I am so sad. In one frame, that's really hard for them. Um, and these are all rookie mistakes that I made, and uh, I think every comics writer has to make them. The other rookie mistake is filling the page with hundreds of speech balloons. Uh, you've really got to pare that down. I think writing comics has made my prose writing a lot better because it gets much more focused. Um, but I still love prose more than anything else. I, I really do like comics, but um, I hope to end my days as a novelist. That would be ideal. Not soon, but that would be really good. <laughs> Not soon. <laughs> and, um, well, I won't drift off the message. <laughs> but, um, but um, yes, has anybody got... Uh, oh, oh, hel hello, once more. Oh, and, and then you, yes, stuff. Oh. Um, I, I think, um, do British audiences and American audiences react differently to the work? I, I think it would be wrong to try and write for them. Um, I think um, lots of Americans liked the extreme Britishness of Knight and Squire, which is so British it's kind of off the scale. Um, it, it, it's, it's a sort of Britishness that's actually infectious. You, you read an issue and you start talking like Dick Van Dyke. It's uh, it really... <laughs> but... Um, uh, but um, uh, you know, when I write uh, a comic set in America, I really don't 
try and think American or because I think an American audience really hates it when um, somebody like Danny Boyle said when he was making a life, le a life less ordinary that he kept letting his camera wander across these wonderful American scenes and just go, ooh, we're in America, isn't that amazing? And of course, to an American audience, that's you know panning for a very long time across things you know very well. <laughs> and um, uh, so I, I think there's a comics equivalent of that or a, a characterization equivalent of that where we would just go for American overdrive and, you know, those of us in Europe, we're so inured in American culture anyway, you know, that, that it's very unlikely we're going to get something jarringly wrong, uh, unlike the other way. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, I love depictions of London in 1970s Marvel and DC comics. It's basically a thatched village. <laughs> um, you know, with Batman being able to, you know, leap from gargoyle to gargoyle over a few huts with some thatch. <laughs> um, and, um, and a, a copper with a big helmet going, thank ye, Batman. <laughs> Which is, it's odd I mock it, because I did six issues of it in Knight and Squire, kind of deliberately, but that was deliberate. But um, anyway, yes, yeah, so that would be bad. But uh, hello. Cops and monsters. Um, it'll be sometime next year. We don't know when yet. Um, uh, the business of publishing moves really slowly, and um, it's apparently it's because they've got to uh, organise long-term advertising, and it's going to be the only tour book released that month, and there's going to be lots of advertising for it, and and I, I I'm I'm really looking forward to it because this is sort of my dream, you know. It's. Um, uh, you know, writing lines like, Oi, you with the tentacles, you're nicked. This is my thing. <laughs> and uh, it's actually not a particularly comedic novel, but there's lots of bits of comedy in it. You know, it's a, it's a sort of big-time thriller. I hope it's kind of um, a, 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 a big, fun thriller about um, four undercover coppers um, uh, who get struck by the sight, the ability to see the supernatural, and thus um, come to the conclusion that since they're the only coppers who can see monsters and ghosts and awfulness, that they have to deal with it as police people. So they take everything off their operations board about the drug lord they're chasing and start putting magical diagrams and uh, you know, pictures of monsters on it and all that. And um, I'm, I'm so proud of it. I'm so pleased with it. It actually started out as a pitch I made to Moffat's company for a TV show. And... Yeah, they very nearly got it made for Sky One many, many years ago. But it's it's changed so, so radically since then, and it's a thoroughgoing novel, and I'm so pleased with it. And there'll come a point sometime next year when this becomes the only thing I start to talk about, um, rather like on Twitter when I start mentioning cricket, and uh, a portion of my audience just goes, oh. and I, I actually asked my audience on Twitter at one point. Um, do the cricket tweets and talking about me fighting vending machines and Kate Bush Hulk and all the other running gags we've got disturb you? Would you just like to hear stuff about gossip about Doctor Who? And I should never have asked, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I, I have toned down the cricket a bit. But um, one, one of my favourite things is to get into a kind of uh, Twitter storm where... You know, we start talking about something and I can retweet what other people are saying and good jokes on one subject and all that. That's wonderful. It kind of, um, I, I always kind of, uh, Twitter cheers me up. Having an audience, you know, at hand cheers me up. 
It, I, I have this saying that um, the audience will save me. And uh, not you, literally, hopefully. I hope you won't have to. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, when, I, when I'm, I'm feeling a bit, a bit uh, down in the dumps of an early evening, I will go on Twitter and just start a conversation and start it rolling. And it, just having people about, you know, it's a wonderful feeling. And it, all authors are, you know, just terrible communicators. Not terrible communicators, terrible communicators. <laughs> Which, actually, I've just disproved, really. But there we go. But um, this is going well. <laughs> and what kind of marks would you give it? How, how are we doing? Oh, I, I think we're definitely up in the 8.5. 8.5, cool. Russian judges. Yeah. yeah. The guy at the back with the sign said 8.2. <laughs> he was the one who asked, you know, asked him to employ me on Doctor Who again. But, uh, I, I, uh, where are you from in England? I'm, I'm from a little village near Oxford. Um, we have, um, on the corner of our park, a one-man medieval hexagonal prison. Um, <laughs> And I, I told that to Russell T. Davis, and he said, oh, you will end up in there. It's your mystical destiny. <laughs> <laughs> Except he did it with a Welsh accent. Which, yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering, because my great-grandmother came from Manchester. Oh, well, I knew her, obviously. <laughs> 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 Oh. And my great grandfather came from London, now Wales. Ah. And I visited uh, London, now Wales many years ago, too. And my great grandfather became one uh, marshal in Utah. And he was shot by miners in Helper, Utah. Well, haven't we all been there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I gather your great grandfather would be dead by now, would, would Oh, I so shouldn't have done that. Oh. <laughs> but, but I thought great-grandfather, that's sort of safe, isn't it? That's a safe bet. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> hello. Now I'm coming back to you too, and I'm happy about it, really. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I I'm, I'm, was hugely inspired to be a writer by Terence Dix, the um, uh, Doctor Who writer and the Doctor Who novelizer. Well, I still, I still go out to have a pint with him every now and then. And that's wonderful, because, you know, he's, he's had this wonderful, huge life, and, um, you know, all these encounters with other authors, and I think he's undervalued. He's a great pro stylist. And, um, yeah, so Terence would be a major influence. Uh, my favorite ever author is Christopher Priest, the um, uh, British SF writer who has a very crisp, very um, simple style. Um, uh, Stan Lee, just a, a legend, uh, uh, undervalued again. Um, really, really a great writer, especially for children. Um, the way he dr I learned to read through Stanley. I was the only kid in the playground who knew what a base defiler was. I, 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 <laughs> At the age of eight, I talked like the submariner, <laughs> which explains everything, really. Because <laughs> um, the other kids in the playground didn't talk like the submariner. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Imperious Rex, I would say. Yes. <laughs> and, um, 
Hello. Oh, behind you. No. Do I plan very much? Uh, yes. Uh, it's, um, I, I really have to. I'm a terrible plotter, and I really have to get it completely sorted out before I venture into it. Then I'll completely ignore everything I've plotted, or venture, you know, just somewhere over there, and then forget what I actually plotted, read the document again, and go, oh, no, I'll never get back to that. I'm over there. Um, but I try and plot hugely in advance, in comics especially, we're all moving so fast. That's one of the nice things about writing for comics. It's going to be out in four weeks' time. There'll be something with this name on it out in four weeks, no matter what happens. You won't necessarily be writing it. You've got to write this. And this, is, this feels like being part of that great tradition of serial fiction, you know, like um, everyone from Conan Doyle, Charles Dickens, though one doesn't compare oneself to those, but just in the idea of it's got to be out next week. And so you really have to plot far in, ahead in comics, otherwise you're going to trip over yourself. Um, that's actually really exciting, and I, I really enjoy that part of it. In television, there's too much time to overthink everything. And, you know, if you started out with a good idea, you're probably going to have that good idea at the start, um, have another good idea halfway, and hopefully get back to a third good idea at the end, at the end of this vast, months-long plotting process in comics now. And that's a, a lovely thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I try and bolt it all down beforehand. Because plotting is the hard bit. They pay us for endings. Um, they don't pay us for anything at all. You've got an ending, you're fine. You know, it honestly doesn't matter what the rest of it's like. If you, <laughs> the ending is the thing. Um, but uh, I think I'm, I might do quite well in that how to write panel that's going on during the criminal mind panel. But I, I think I might just run back and forth between individual questions and, and just think, you know, sit there on the criminal mind panel, think, oh, yes, another thing about writing, run back in and go, and another thing about writing, and then come in. I, I'll dress in a bee suit for the occasion. I, and, um, I wish I had a bee suit now. That'd be really, actually, I just wish I had a bee suit in general. That'd be really good. Anyway, um, <laughs> but um, yes. Oh, hello. Are we restricting ourselves to which Doctor, which Doctor Who actor would I bring back as Doctor Who? Um, can, can I miraculously resurrect somebody? Or yeah, um, hmm. I, who would work with Matt? Somebody who's the opposite of him. So I think John Pertwee, because <laughs> he would try and and, and um, boss Matt Smith around, and Matt would try and boss him around, and uh, that would be really interesting. Some, him and Patrick Troughton would just get on like a house on fire. They would just be, ooh, <laughs> between... Uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> this is the kind of thing Doctor Who fans think about, you know, how the different Doctors would get on. <laughs> but... Um, because yeah, there are similarities. You can sort of see how one personality there gets split into all these different bits. And uh, like Davison and Tennant did so well together because they're, they're sort of the same shape. You know, they've got some of the same things going on, you know. Um, I'd, I'd really like to see an old Doctor Return story. There's no reason for not doing it. And I suspect one day they'll get around to it. But I have no specialist knowledge on that subject and wouldn't tell them if I did. <laughs> Which, 
Actually, I really don't know. I, I, that wasn't me saying I do know. No, it's like that episode of the Black Adder where nobody knows who uh, the uh, Scarlet Pimpernel is, and all pretend that they do by not saying anyway. Um, but uh, oh, yes, sorry, you've been waiting. Oh, yes, I, I read loads of comics. Um, Batgirl is wonderful. Anything Gail Simone writes, uh, Secret Six. Um, uh, I like Secret Avengers over at Marvel. I like anything Jonathan Hickman does. His um, killing off Johnny Storm in the um, Fantastic Four um, was the end game of a year of building up to it and just was the, the best judged and planned superhero death ever. Um, I follow writers, you know, um, Nick Spencer, Scott Snyder on Detective Comics right now. Um, there's a whole gang of newbies who are doing really well. And um, now I've won the Best New Writer Award, they can do really well and I won't have to worry. Um, I, I beat Chris Claremont and Stan Lee for that award. That was really... <laughs> and, um, the, um, Chris will hate that. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh, yes. Well, actually, William Russell still being alive, I think that would be really nice. He's an amazing actor uh, who played Ian Chesterton. Uh, and that would just... Uh, the Doctor's uh, niceness and compassion for um, Ian Chesterton would be lovely to see. And uh, since Ian knows nothing about regeneration, that would take a lot of explaining. <laughs> but um, there was some... Oh, hello. Loads. I kept, kept, kept saying to Marvel all the time I was there, the dynamic Defenders. Um, Defenders book. I know every single Defenders book you've done for the last 20 years has failed, but me, with my brilliant track record of keeping comics going, <laughs> and obviously this didn't sell with them very well at all, um, put those two unique brands together, a title that doesn't sell and an author that uh, keeps getting comics... Um, you know, cancelled, and they thought that was a winner. Um, I, I like Green Arrow. Uh, there's no vacancy there. JT is doing a fantastic job, but I'd love to write for Ollie. Um, it, my wife always says that Green Arrow is the, the superhero who I most identify with. That uh, I kind of, oh, yes, I'm a bit like Green Arrow. And she goes, you're really not. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from anything else, I can't fire arrows. That's the basic. <laughs> But growing the beard was an attempt to be a bit more like Green Arrow in one respect. Um, I grew a huge beard for charity over Lent uh, for shelter. And um, uh, George R.R. R. Martin promised me he'd double his donation if I dyed it green. So one evening I dyed it green and took photos. Um, <laughs> spray on green hair dye. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It says on the bottle, <laughs> spray from 30 feet. <laughs> And, and if it's just you, <laughs> what do I do? Do I attach a piece of string? What do I do? So I, I kind of <laughs> closed my eyes and sprayed it at my face from over there. <laughs> and some of it settled here. Some of it settled all over my body. I, 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 my wife found green dye up her nose two days later. <laughs> 
she found some behind my ear after I'd been to a production meeting for weeks later. I, somebody, people must have seen this green hue of my own go, ooh, what's that? <laughs> but uh, I was so pleased to be rid of the beard. It, it's, I, I hate having a beard. It's kind of like this squidgy thing when you lie on the pillow that goes, squidge. <laughs> oh. And um, my, um, my, I, 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 said to my, I said to my wife, um, some, some, some people give up sex for London. She said, you've got that beard, it's the same thing. <laughs> Two uh, minutes. <laughs> oh, that's what she said. Um, <laughs> Thank you, we'll be here all week. <laughs> Your greatest nightmare come true. Um, you know, he's a bit silent for a straight man, but when he gets them there, he really gets them there. But, um, oh dear. <laughs> Hello. Oh, what else do I like? Um, uh, I loved Stargate Universe and really, really missing it. And I think I can say I was invited to pitch for the third season of Stargate Universe, so my, my cancellation curse affects other people's TV shows, too. <laughs> um, uh, what else? I'm, I'm, I'm really... Um, oh, uh, Fringe. Fringe is just the most amazing thing. The, um, the, the, that um, female hero lead... Um, with the male lead who stays at home looking after the family and minds the test tubes. This is radical. This has never been done before. It's wonderful to see. Um, and she is an action hero. And I especially love that midway through the second season, where they'd ended the mid-season cliffhanger, her being captured and tied up, and that was where they left it, um, she rescued herself and got herself back to, to base without being rescued by anybody else. I, I love that show. And... Um, Spoilers, but um, that wonderful actor who plays Olivia, her um, Leonard Nimoy impersonation, they're just, they're just giving her things to do because she could do them. They, they, they you know, she'll develop a limp soon, she'll get a beard. Be... <laughs> Would you be able to play an 80-year-old man? I'll have a go, she'd go. <laughs> In fact, actually, that's what she's doing now. But um, it's uh, just a tremendous thing. Um, I, I, I love the work of J.J. Abrams. I think he's got an absolute talent for television. Um, the, um, yeah, that's about... That's kind of... I, I watch lots of cop shows as well as genre shows. I love Castle and... Uh, the new... Because yeah, that's sort of the, the fantasy life of a writer. It's kind of... We'd like it to be like that. I, actually, when he went out on, when goes out on cases, Castle would really be saying things to Beckett like... Why, why are they even in the book? Why are they in the book? They don't do anything from chapter two onwards. Why have I got them all the way to the book? And she'd go, that has nothing to do with the investigation. No, but why? Why? <laughs> um, the cliffhanger at the end of chapter four makes no sense. <laughs> this is what, what I talk about all the time. And, and you know, I, I would just suddenly be in the middle of something, dinner, and have to quickly write something down on my iPad, because otherwise I'll forget. And this would make a very different kind of castle story. It really would. <laughs> but, well, um, oh, I'm afraid that I will have to uh, pull the gun on this one. It is four o'clock. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming along, Bye. everybody. Thank you. Hi, folks. This is the Emperor. I'm here to remind you to listen to the Emperor's Court. 
every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here at VTWProductions.com. That's The Emperor's Court, your three-hour break from Internet porn. <laughs>